You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Would you flash back with me to November 16th, 1940? Dick Howard um, has a serious relational deficit. Dick Howard is an Anglican priest. He's the provost of the Coventry Cathedral, but he's standing in a pile of rubble. There's a picture that captures the scene that survived from history. Uh, It's a picture of Dick Howard, the priest, and the um, king with a speech impediment, as you recall, George VI. And no speech will be necessary to convey the depth of the pain in this moment. Because this is just two days after the German Luftwaffe have come and in 11 straight hours of bombing destroyed not just a great medieval cathedral, but the whole city of Coventry. A thousand people lie dead. The city has been burning ever since. This is an attack that the Germans themselves, and is widely acknowledged now, was the most destructive attack on any city in the history of warfare. And there stands Dick Howard and King George VI. And you can see it on Dick Howard's face, his jaws clenched with anger. His knuckles are white in this, in, this, in this photograph. And the question that hangs between the priest and the king is, how are we going to respond? That's a question I want to suggest to you that you and I face every single day when we find ourselves in relational deficit. You and I are surrounded by conflict every day, every moment. We live our lives amidst the flying debris of conflict. And we try as hard as we can, but we will inevitably find ourselves standing at the end of the day in its rubble. And the question is, when we're in the midst of conflict, how will we respond or rather react? Because if we react out of a relational deficit, then we will fall into the inevitable logic of retaliation, which says essentially, you hurt me, now it's my turn to hurt you. We don't think of it quite so clearly as that, sometimes. But you know, if my wife wounds my pride at a party, I want so badly to give her another, a couple, a couple of days of sort of cool affection at best. When my neighbor, as I told you, uh, cuts down one of my trees, I think this is a really nice place for a row of 25-foot Italian pines, uh, you know, because he's trying to get a better view. And I can fix that in the way that, you know, I would, to even the scales. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. That's the logic of retaliation. And it comes because there's a debt that's been taken out of my life. I feel this sense of loss, and I, I need it to be repaid somehow. And as Dick Howard stands there in the rubble of this uh, air raid... He's wondering, how could we ever get the people responsible back? And you know the story. Over the next five years, all of Europe will suffer. The whole world will suffer. Friendships will suffer. Life will be drastically diminished. 
Because right now, there are a thousand who've lost their lives in Coventry, but there are still some 25,000 who are alive in Dresden who have a few more years left to live. There are some 40,000 who have not yet lost their lives in Hamburg, and there are over a million who've not yet lost their lives in Stalingrad. A million. The devastation of retaliation. But Dick Howard would make a different decision. And in that cathedral, something very unique happens. It turns out that the mason had been climbing up the steeple, and the steeple actually remarkably survived the bombing. He was looking down, and he saw two beams that made the form of a cross, like the cross on 9-11. Remember those two beams that were left? It was the same kind of a thing. And he thought, this matters. And so he went down, and he bound those two cross beams together, and he erected it against the wall where the altar had been. Another man found three uh, large medieval nails, and he uh, lashed them together and set them on a stone table in front of that cross, a cross of nails. And then Dick Howard later would unclench his fist. He would grab a piece of broken chalk and he would go to that charred wall of brick and he would write two words, Father, forgive. Words of peace, words from the cross of Jesus Christ, Father, forgive. Now, the BBC would come to Coventry in a few weeks for their annual Christmas broadcast, and Dick Howard, from the remnants of the cathedral, would be asked to speak. He took the microphone, and he says this, to the British Empire, to a world now at war. We want to tell the world that with Christ born again in our hearts today, we are trying, hard as it may be, to banish all thoughts of revenge. We are going to try to make a kinder, simpler, a more Christ-child-like sort of world in the days beyond this strife. Now, where does that come from? And how can I, when I've been hurt or wounded, not react in kind but respond in peace. And what would it mean for us, just us who are gathered in this room right now, to consider ourselves to be a sent community of agents of reconciliation in the world, to sow peace where there's discord? Well, I think our Savior guides us through the words of the Apostle Peter this morning. So I want to invite you to open the Bible. If you brought one, great. If you didn't, grab the black book in the rack in front of you to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. You find that on page uh, 985 of the Pew Bible. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his word. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this that you were called. 
that you might inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. I think Peter invites his readers to go back on a flashback too, back into the Old Testament. And he wants to give them a picture, and the picture also has a priest. And why do I say that? Verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. Now that's a priestly action, a blessing. That's where that comes from. So the mental image here is a priest. Now, throughout the whole book of, of, of 1 Peter, there is this dominant metaphor of a priest. And we haven't talked about it yet, so we're going to talk about it this morning. It's all the way through the book. Uh, and, 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 and he's calling on that reference when he, when he invites them to be agents of reconciliation here in the world. So that you can't really understand how that works until you understand the ministry uh, of a priest. And here's the key thing about a priest. A priest is somebody who restores relationship. That's what they did. They restore relationship. When relationship with God is broken, you go to a priest in ancient Israel. When relationship with your neighbor is broken, you go to a priest in ancient Israel. And what does a priest do? There are two things. Gives witness to a sacrifice, usually an animal. And then comes out of the tent, having performed that sacrificial duty, and speaks to the people a word of peace, a blessing. That's what a blessing is. It's a, it's a spoken word of peace. And, and you remember this. Sometimes we say this here in church. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon him. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's what it is. That's a blessing. It's, it's, a, it's an assurance. It's a declaration that the sacrifice did what it was supposed to do. And now you stand in a new relation to other. It's described as peace. Okay, so when, when Peter says, don't react, don't return evil with evil or abuse with abuse, instead repay with a blessing, he thinks, do what a priest does. Now, this will disrupt the logic of retaliation because what a priest does, <laughs> rather than repay a debt or extract a debt, a priest will cancel a debt. The priest will cancel a debt. And that's what, may, and that's what brings the peace. The cancellation of a debt. So now let's look at how this will work in our relationships. And I want to hear just three implications of the priestly model for our relationships. And the first one is this. Jesus reconciles us to God. And you go, well, I think I've heard that before. Well, I hope you have, but I hope you understand it. Jesus reconciles us to God. Another way of thinking about this, by the way, is as a priest's consecration. But here's how we get there. Verse 9 says this. You've been called that you might inherit a blessing. See the end of the verse? Inherit, inherit, inherit. Inherit a blessing. Now, that word has been used before. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, you may remember that in verse 4, Peter says, you've been born into a living hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance. That is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. 
kept in heaven for you. You you have been given an inheritance through the death and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. By the way, the effect of that inheritance on your life is also specified in priestly terms in verse 2 where it says you've been sanctified. Some of your translations say you've been consecrated. That that was a technical term for what had to happen to a priest before he could go into a holy place. He had had to be reconciled to God first. And so there was a process for being consecrated. Then it would be safe to be in God's presence because your relationship with God had been restored. And so Peter's saying, if you're going to be a priest, the first thing is you've got to be consecrated. And God has done that only but thoroughly in Jesus Christ. You inherit a blessing. Just inherit. And this, you know, a couple things about an inheritance you need to know. First of all, is that it will change your life if it's significant enough, right? Anybody ever received inheritance? Anybody would like to receive an inheritance here, right? Because you're hoping your life would change. The other thing about an inheritance is you don't do anything for it. Somebody else does everything for it. They work a long life and save very carefully and then they die. All right? That's what Jesus has done for us. And this is, this is a picture of grace. There's a story about a wealthy father who um, loved art and he collected art and his son, he raised his son to be an art appreciator and they had this great collection, Raphael and Picasso. And unfortunately, uh, during the Vietnam War, his father's son, his only son was called into service in the war and he died. He was shot through the heart on the battlefield uh, and he was actually trying to rescue a fellow soldier at that time. And he, in fact, did. He saved this guy's life. Well, the father was grieving, he was crushed. One day there was a knock on the door and it was this man whose life had been saved by his son. Never met him before. The young man looked at the father and he said, sir, um, your son spoke often of you. He loved you. He spoke often of your mutual love for art. And um, I just thought that he would want you to have this. And he handed the old man at the door a package. And the father thanked him, and he took the package into his home, and he opened it up, and it was a painting that the soldier had done of his son. It was nothing fancy, but it was his son. And so this became the most important piece of art in the whole collection. He made space over his mantle, and he put this painting up there. Well, in time, the uh, old man died, And, of course, there was an auction. He had no heirs. The collectors came from around the world to purchase these paintings. And a fancy auction house, and everybody gathered, and they do it at an auction. And on the stage, though, it was his most valuable painting on this easel, the painting of his son. And, of course, nobody was interested in this painting. They knew real art when they saw it, and they were here for the Picassos and the Rembrandts and so forth. So they were rather impatient as the auctioneer tried to goad them into bidding on this painting. No one would bid a a penny until finally from the back of the room, a voice was raised, $10. Well, it turns out it was the old man's gardener who had come just to see the art one last time. He didn't have much money. $10 was all he had. He bought the painting. Gavel came down, and then to the disappointment of those who were gathered, the auctioneer closed the auction. They said, what? He said, well, there was a secret stipulation in the will that whoever bought the painting of the sun gets the whole collection. (laughs) Whoever has the sun has the whole thing. And that's exactly what the scriptures say of Jesus Christ. 
God, the letter of John, he says, he who has the son has the life. God sent his only begotten son, his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You have inherited a fortune in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now you have peace with God. Jesus has reconciled you to God. Peter says, by his wounds... You have been healed. He bore his sins. Our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. See, Jesus is a priest. He's the great high priest. Jesus reconciles us to God. In that sense, you and I have a priest's consecration. We're restored to God. Now, the second implication for our relationships is this being the case, Jesus now reconciles us to each other and we have a priest's capacity. See, Jesus gives us hope for our broken relationships. And these people had broken relationships also. They're normal people. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking because people are in the Bible, they're better than you and me. They're just like you and me. And they had broken relationships. And, and we see that if you want to read further on your own, you can see verses 13 and follow, following. Uh, Peter will refer to this relational rubble. There's harm, there's suffering, there's intimidation, there's maligning. They're not doing well with their neighbors. They're possibly not doing well with each other. They're standing in relational deficit to the people around them. And you and I know how they're probably reacting. Ravi Zacharias was invited to travel to the Middle East as a part of a peace delegation several years ago. And as part of that tour, they were asked to meet a man named Sheikh Talal. Sheikh Talal was one of the founders of Hamas. And Sheikh Talal was a very hospitable man. He hosted this delegation for dinner, this crowded little room. He told them stories about 18 years of imprisonment, of his bitterness, of the pain of losing some of his children uh, to suicide bombing. And when Ravi Zacharias had a moment, when it was his turn to ask a question, I'm going to read to you what he said. He said, Sheikh, forgive me if I'm asking you the wrong question. Please tell me, what do you think of suicide bombing and sending your children out like that? It was a risk. And he, the Sheikh very graciously responded. And when he was done, Ravi said this, Sheikh, a little distance from here is a mountain upon which Abraham went 5,000 years ago to offer his son. And as the axe was about to fall, God said, stop. Do you know what God said after that? And the sheikh looked at him with an attentive but blank expression. Ravi continued, God said, I myself will provide. And the sheikh nodded. Very close to you where we are sitting, sheikh, is a hill. 2,000 years ago, God kept that promise and brought his own son. And the axe did not stop this time. He sacrificed his own son. And Ravi's looking at the lip beginning to tremble on the sheikh's face. The room is filled with security guards and smoke. But he takes another risk. He says, I may never see you again, sheikh, but I want to leave you with this until you and I receive the son that God has provided. We will be offering our own sons and daughters on the battlefields of this world for land and power and pride. Because that's the logic of retaliation. 
I mean, I doubt that there's anybody in here who's considering being a suicide bomber, but I want to tell you, we play with that logic every single day, and the only thing that will interrupt it is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But interrupt it, he does. Because I think there is a moment, there's a freeze frame in verse 9 between the logic of retaliation and the surprise of reconciliation. It's almost as though Peter expects that it's possible when you've been given evil or abuse to make a choice right here between receiving and reacting. And at that point, you can do what a priest would do. Now, follow me here for a second because he's already told us what Jesus did when he was at that point. If you flip back to chapter 2, verse 23, listen to this. When Jesus was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Okay, so here's Jesus in the same transaction at the freeze frame. But now Peter tells us what's in the frame. He says, but Jesus entrusted himself. Another way of translating that would be he handed himself over to the one who judges justly. He entrusts himself to God. And at that point, he no longer stands with a relational deficit because when he entrusts himself to God, he's handing himself over to the one who holds him in grace and who loves him completely and who has forgiven him for all of his debts. And so at that point, he's not in a relational deficit. He's in a relational surplus. He's, got a, he's standing in a relational abundance. And that is the very thing, and I want to suggest to you, that is the only thing that would interrupt cycles of retaliation. And now it's possible to bless, to speak words of peace. Lewis Meads describes this when he says, forgiving is love's revolution against life's unfairness. When we forgive, we ignore the normal laws that strap us to the natural law of getting even. And by the alchemy of love, we release ourselves from our own painful pasts. We fly over a dues-paying morality in order to create a new future out of the past's unfairness. We free ourselves from the wrong that is locked into our private histories. We unshackle our spirits from malice. Jesus reconciles us to each other. But finally, Jesus makes us agents of reconciliation in the world. So we've got not only a priest's consecration, not only a priest's capacity, now we have a priest's commission. With Jesus, we have a hope that we can be agents of peace. So Peter says in verse 11, seek peace. Seek peace and pursue it. He's quoting Psalm 34 there, David on the run, unfairly pursued. Seek peace and pursue it, he says in the psalm. And Peter picks up on that and he says, you know about this if you're an Israelite. Now, let's get practical because this is where we're going to get an assignment for this week. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. It's to take this commission seriously. And so we want to ask, how do we do it? Well, Peter, thankfully, has been very practical in this passage. In verse 8, there are five postures. We're talking about postures. There are five postures to this practice. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but I just want to read them for you. Uh, He says, finally, all of you have unity of spirit. 
Unity of spirits, the word mind is in there. It's, it's it really saying see through another person's eyes. In conflict, flip it around. What does it look through their eyes? Unity of spirit. And then sympathy. This is an emotional word. Feel what they feel, not just what you feel. And then love for one another. This is Philadelphia. Sibling love. It's committed care. Uh, you can't disassociate with your, from, from your sister or your brother. Neither can you from that person in conflict. Be committed to them. Tender heart. Uh, this, the heart is, the word there is really the bowels, which is the seed of compassion. Be moved by their pain. Don't just be moved by your pain, but be moved by their pain. I have to keep doing this with the Crimea thing because it's just bothering me. And I have to think about what, what do the Russians think? That, you know, how are they hurt because of their history and what's going on uh, with the Ukraine? Be, uh, compassion, tender heart. And then finally, humble mind. This is essential. Humility in the Greek culture was not a virtue. It was a bad thing. But Jesus changes that. And now to have a humble mind means to be able to admit that you were wrong. Oh, my gosh. Is that a hurdle to reconciliation? Yeah, I got to learn to admit that I'm wrong. So there are these five postures. But I want to suggest to you that if you think about the metaphor of a priest, they all wrap up in this way, speaking words of peace from the cross. That's really what we're called to do this week. Speak a word of peace from the cross of Jesus Christ. When you encounter conflict in your life or conflict in the lives of two of your neighbors, what can you say that could only be said because of what Jesus did on the cross? What can you embody? What can you say? Now, it's hard work, but it's great work. I want to read to you from a a beautiful column in the New York Times uh, Sunday, two weeks ago. Mary Elizabeth Williams begins the column this way. She says, I looked across the restaurant table at my date. An attractive brown-eyed man with two young children and a broken marriage. As he recounted his romantic history. Here's what her date says. I used to think the relationship part of my life was settled and I never had to worry about it, he told me. Now I think if you love someone, you have to take it one day at a time. And you have to work at it one day at a time. I smiled and thought, I could be in a relationship with a man like this. In fact, I knew I could. Reader, I had married him. You find out this is her ex-husband she's having a date with. Their marriage had failed. Our unraveling had not been swift or a decisive catastrophe, but a smaller series of no less destructive forces. Williams goes on to describe how their failure had changed them, even in some ways strengthened them. They were no longer young, particularly beautiful, or naive, but they were coming back together, less aware of their own needs and more aware of their need for reconciliation. And it took work. Daily work. But she writes, It was nice being with a man whose emotional baggage from his crazy ex I could really understand. (laughs) (laughs) And my children were happy about mom's new man. They've come back together. But now um, we learn in this article, Williams has cancer. And so her husband lies with her on her hospital bed and they watch the ceiling fan spin. Love, she writes, isn't a fortress. It isn't a locked room. 
It's full of doors and windows and escape hatches. And they're not scary. They're how, to paraphrase Leonard Cohen, the light gets in. Because grace comes into the broken places and the open places in our lives. And this is what Jesus will do with your relationships. I want to invite you to dare to believe in reconciliation this morning. And to receive this commission to speak a word of peace from the cross of Jesus Christ. This week, I promise you, you and I will encounter conflict. It's coming. Are you ready for it? It, it, it can, you'll be hurt. You'll be wounded. You'll be driven to hot anger. You might be aware of, of, of cool antipathy or apathy. And you say, I'm just no longer dealing with this relationship anymore because I know where it goes constantly. So predictable. Or you'll be coming across the conflict of your neighbors. Um, you know, at the, at the photocopier, there'll be somebody who's gossiping about one of your colleagues. There'll be some, your neighbor maybe on the street as you walk your dog will tell you about the custody battle that they're in. Or maybe you'll come face to face with someone's ugly prejudice. And the question is, what can you do? What can you say? It fits the moment. But more importantly, comes from the cross of Jesus. Priest's commission. Make a plan. Who needs a word of peace in your world today, this week? Make a plan. Well, in 1946, the BBC returned to Coventry. They came back for their annual Christmas program. They broadcast from the still very destroyed Coventry Cathedral. The war was now over, and they had on the radio two people, Dick Howard, the priest, and Father Mecklenburg, another priest from Hamburg in Germany. And they spoke with each other over the radio of forgiveness and reconciliation and of rebuilding each other's cities. This became the beginning of a community called the Community of the Cross of Nails. It's known today around the world for ministries of reconciliation. And out of the Community of Cross of Nails, they have a liturgy with which I'd like to end this reflection. Uh, it's called the liturgy, the litany of Coventry. And if you would, would you um, pray with me as I read this litany together? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The hatred which divides nation from nation, race from race, class from class, Father, forgive. The covetous desires of people and nations to possess what is not their own? Father, forgive. The greed which exploits the work of human hands and lays waste the earth? Father, forgive. Our envy of the welfare and happiness of others? Father, forgive. Our indifference to the plight of the imprisoned, the homeless, the refugee? Father, forgive. The lust? which dishonors the bodies of men, women, and children. Father, forgive. The pride which leads us to trust in ourselves and not in God. Father, forgive. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette.
To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.